Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 19, Hard Time. Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf and directed by Alexander Singer. Hard Time aired on April 15, 1996. This week on Deep Space Nine, falsely convicted of espionage, Miles O'Brien is given the memories of 20 years in prison in a matter of hours. Returning to Deep Space Nine, O'Brien finds he cannot shrug off the memory of his awful experience or rid himself over the guilt he feels over the death of his cellmate. O'Brien must suffer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and that's definitely, like, you know, something that they, they like to do. Um, to like the everyman character particularly, but this is like another level. Like, yeah, this is the heaviest one um, of all of them, at least so far. I don't remember what takes place in. The I mean, future. he was falsely accused and put on trial in Cardassia, and was like clearly like you know tortured and stuff there. But like, yeah, I don't want to shrug off that experience. But it's like. This is probably, like, one of the heaviest episodes of Star Trek I can think of. Yeah, I mean, um, it deals with topics like incarceration, torture, suicidal ideation. I don't remember us ever seeing anything else with all of that. Yeah. Um, So I guess the carte blanche, like, before we kind of dig into it, just because it does deal with um, talking about self-harm particularly, and especially that one scene. Um, So I guess blanket trigger warning, if those are things you don't want to engage with or discussions, just skip this episode and we'll see you next week. Yes. Yeah, like, Star Trek has definitely done incarceration and, like, torture before like you're thinking of like chain of command in in tng like which would have been aired a couple like years before yeah i just watched that recently well somewhat recently anyway but yeah just like the idea of prisons in general and then you know the idea of feeling just just being irreparably harmed by that and leading to like o'brien literally putting a phaser in his mouth yeah it's like yeah i don't know man it's not a fun time no before we before we get into all of that though i would like to get um into some like in general thoughts and things about the episode that are a little bit um less serious or um more about the episode getting made um so originally this episode was pitched by Daniel Keyes Moran and Lynn Barker um, for season one and then Robert Hewitt-Wolf really liked it but and who that's who ended up writing the teleplay he kept pitching it to Michael Piller a number of times again in season two and season three but he kept um, he kept refusing eventually Robert Hewitt-Wolf convinced Iris Stephen Bear and that's when the episode finally got made in season four. But um, one thing I found really interesting was there was one version of the episode. I don't think it had like gotten to script the script writing part. So it might've just been in like the story part of making this, but they were talking about having the episode be about Ensign Sito from TNG 
um, being alive after what the events of what happened in the Lower Decks episode of TNG, where she, um, she volunteers to go on this mission where she has to pretend to be, um, kind of like a Bajoran freedom fighter type of person, like, like, basically someone like Kira, and, um, to bring this Cardassian spy back to Cardassia, um, safely, like the someone that's helping um, the Bajorans, and she ends up dying. So they thought maybe, you know, we could do, oh, maybe she's not dead. Maybe she's just been in like a Cardassian prison for the last like, I guess it would it would only be like a year or so. Like, I don't remember because that Lower Decks is in season seven of TNG, mm-hmm. um, and that probably like just ended. Yeah. Um, I think that ended... Because I'm I in my rewatch I just have the finale left so I think that might be like two, 1996 or something so that's like the same year or maybe it was 1995 or something like that so it was like probably like six months to a year before this but also um, I don't want to spoil this for you because I know you haven't watched it yet but there is some mention of her in the recent season of. Lower Decks, the television show. I just haven't seen the finale. I've seen the, like... Yeah, I just haven't seen the finale. Did you watch I, the, seen... the first part of the two-parter? Yeah, where um, that, like, it all, like, circles back to, like, First Duty, and you find out that Mariner was, like, friends with Cedo and... Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I didn't really see I would say Lorca, yeah. Yeah, no, I just haven't seen episode 10. I've seen Okay, nine. so then you, you already know the thing, then, basically. Yeah. But it was just funny that that had come up. And I was like, oh, I've just watched a lot of episodes about this person. Um, I also wanted to say that apparently uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf's wife, Celeste, was a psychotherapist. And he had, like, I don't know, unofficially, I guess, bounced ideas off of her for this episode. Um, so that's a little comforting, I guess. I don't know if she specifically works with incarcerated people or it's just a general psychotherapy knowledge but it's always good when you have someone um in that kind of role helping yeah it's always good when you can get free labor from your spouse matthew (laughs) what all right all right (laughs) we don't know that it was free um Anyway, I don't think this is like a Polly Platt situation, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair um, and enough. lastly, the last thing I wanted to say is I love that Echar, who is um, O'Brien's cellmate in the um, in the prison memories, is played by Craig Wasson, who I know from the erotic thriller Body Double, which I know you have also seen. <laughs> Oh, Brian De Palma, you sick, sick, sick man. Um, <laughs> that movie is wild. It was really funny when I realized that because he's obviously wearing alien, either prosthetics or makeup or whatever they do in this episode. But like something about his eyes, I was like, that guy looks so familiar. I have to look up who's playing him. And then I saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, not that IMDb would be lying to me, but I was like, I see it now. I'll uh, I'll link it in the show notes, but um, 
and I'm sure I like the, if folks want to get more into it, this is just literally like scratching like the surface's starting point. But uh, the United Nations Office on Drug and Crime has a section on their website about prison reform and why it's important. Um, and like, while I'm not, I don't think if I can, if I can speak for at least, um, I don't, neither of us are, are experts on the topic, but I definitely think there's, there's crossover with this discussion of hard time when you're looking at like, again, it all happens in his mind in this weird sci-fi way, but like it's, it's real to O'Brien and yeah. you know, the conditions that he and each are, are like put through are incredibly unhumane. Um, even if Miles was guilty of espionage, which he wasn't. Like, yeah, like, even if he wasn't wrongly convicted, this is very bad. Right? And, I mean, it also made me think of, you know, illegal detainees at Guantanamo Bay and all, like, you know, the, the torture and, and you know, conditions that, that they were put through. And they were even considered detainees instead of, you know were arrested and charged and whatever because they could operate more in this like gray space by calling them detainees versus you know if you charge them with something and everything else you like had different rules and stuff to follow um so it's just interesting to see star trek present some of this stuff to us and it it just feels so like and we talk we can talk about this with like most episodes of Deep Space Nine, and we have, but just so unroddenberry, yeah. In like, which is generally like a good thing, but and again, I I think the plot outline that or the summary that you prepared, at least, like covers the the like plot points of the episode really well, so you don't really have to go through that. Yeah, no, I, um, I agree. Well, of course you agree. You wrote it. No, but it's just I think the greatest disservice. That's done. I didn't write it. I it, took it from memory alpha. The greatest service that like the show does to this episode is being a serialized show or not a, a, or a syndicated show that's not quite serialized yet, and it's like you go through this incredible, incredible trauma to the point of you know not just suicidal ideation, but the idea of basically nearly attempting it yeah attempting if julian it. didn't um, show up we don't know what would have happened and then it's never talked about again yeah so that and like yeah and i know that that's the reality of like you know tv at this time and everything else but yeah yeah i think that and i'm gonna i i except for how it ends with like I don't mean it within the episode, but I mean the how it ends with the we never talk about this again, I agree, is is a disservice. But I also feel like if I don't think about that little aspect of it, which is not so little, the episode by itself um, really works for me. Um, I do think if we had like more, it would be like, you know, in like six months, us seeing Miles, how how is he doing talking to someone about that again? Um, one thing I did like, though, about the ending specifically was that being taking the memories away from him w- is never an option. Um, he, It's not like, oh, we can just mem- memory hole this f- 
and fix it that way. Um, I do like that Julian prescribes him antidepressants and anti-hallucinogen medication to deal with this. I think it's very silly to think that, obviously, and continued counseling. I think it's very (laughs) silly in the, like, you know, it's not serialized way, so we don't actually get to see him working on that going forward. But I still think that's a better ending than, like, oh, no, you're fine now. We just took it all out of your brain. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, there was, I know this is, like, not really about the plot so much, but um, they basically say that he, all of the, he was already undergoing this t- form of torture or pr- mind incarceration, which I think for, for the purposes of my analysis is not going to be any different than if he, this stuff all, all happened. 100%. Uh, but I feel like it's interesting that by the time Deep Space Nine even found out that any of this was happening, he was, like, well into the the memory stuff. Like, it all happened so fast. And it, I know this is, like, not... This is a hard topic to make light of. I mean, I'm not trying to do that. But it did remind me... I recently rewatched the movie Back to the Future Part 2. And, um... If you don't remember, at the beginning of that movie, Doc Brown brings Marty to 2015 because his son is about to do something that's going to get him arrested and ruin the whole family going forward. So he basically, like, come back to fix that or go forward to fix that. And they're reading the newspaper of, like, that Doc had gotten from the next day. And it says, with and so Marty's reading the 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 newspaper and is like, Within two hours of his arrest, Martin McFly Jr. was tried, convicted, and sentenced to 15 years in the state penitentiary. And then Marty, that's the quote of what he was reading. And he's like, within two hours. And Doc is just like, the justice system works swiftly in the future now that we've abolished all lawyers. And this species of people that have done this to O'Brien sound like they do not have lawyers um, in their society at all. But like, just the like, that that made me think of uh, that bit in the movie because everything just happened like super fast. Yeah. No, and I totally agree that it's like you treat this like as like, yeah, it was a memory implanted, but like it happened. It was real. It's yeah, like he experienced it because these people are like super mind control folks or something. They have like that speciality or whatever. So they're going to make it feel like you really did this. Well, and I think it's similar. Okay, like longtime listeners of of this podcast will know how I feel about the Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, The Inner Light. Um, I feel like this one's again their memories are are different versus living someone else's you know life and having kids versus being in prison for twenty years, um, and tortured for twenty years. But where I find the similarity is it's like the idea of being given these these memories that you didn't ask for. Oh yeah, right? and they're like, totally they're, like similar. not without without you know consent and it's just like it's real it didn't happen but it happened right so how like this is no more humane um than actually like putting o'brien through this for 20 years it just so happens that he can you know have that and then theoretically still contribute to society well theoretically because it lasted in two hours and it's more efficient and it's cheap the same punishment but cheaper for the government basically which is like (laughs) i didn't think of it from that perspective and that seems so on point 
I do think that they did a really good job of showing like different levels of coping that he had to go through or not coping rather um, when he yeah. gets back. Um, he's not very forthcoming with Julian. He lies about his situation and says he was alone. Like he completely does not talk about Echar, his cellmate, who you can see throughout the flashbacks he's very close with. But I like how they had him act a certain way at the present. And I say the present as if the past wasn't like a week ago um, in reality. Um, where he'll be like snapping at someone and then you see like he'll yet be yelling at Julian or snapping at Molly or twisting Quark's arm for a, a synth hall or whatever. Or a synth hall, whatever they call it. Um and then you kind of see the flashback to the memory where you see, like, maybe the first time he acted that way. And it just feels very... Or the, the scene where it just feels really, like, interesting that they... It was kind of like, this is what's happening now and this is why this is happening. But it just flows really well. Specifically the scene where he and Molly are eating dinner and he's, he's like, portioning out his food because... In prison, he didn't know when he was going to get fed the next time. So he and Ichar, like, kept food, like, a stockpile of food for themselves um, in case there was a long time between between meals. And he's so used to doing that that he instinctually does it in his own house, which there's no food shortage there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good that Cisco realizes that he is not fit for duty because he's shirking off his care regimen that he's been given. Um, and that, I mean, it's 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 hard not to look at this in a capitalistic way where they the therapy is like, okay, how do we get you back to work as fast as possible? Because um, that's what our society is like. But I know with Star Trek, that is not how society is. So it feels a little bit more altruistic. Like, Cisco genuinely cares about him and knows that Miles wants to be there doing his chief engineer job, not because he has to. So it's a little bit different, but it's hard to see it like that because my brain is lives in our society. <laughs> <clears throat> what I do think does ring turn this episode just when someone is processing or not processing, like, trauma and is living with you know severe depression and suicidal ideation is the ways in which miles is internalizing everything and doesn't want to like talk about it and is you know pushing it away but it's always there and it's yes. like you know some of the like each our stuff it's like kind of like a go it's like a ghost haunting story like in a way when you know he sees each yeah, before he, sees he him all over publicly the acknowledges mm-hmm. him to like julian and everything else um but the ways in which Miles snaps up Molly or raises his voice, starts yelling at Julian or getting violent with Quark. Like those are episodes that when you are, you know, not processing um, things and internalizing, you know, and are in that place mentally where you're not healthy um, will will come out and those kind of outbursts and like that emotional turbulence. Right. Yeah. So uh, that, that rung very true for me. Yeah. And then your brain uses those events against you even further where, I mean, the whole impetus, at least what he tells Julian for 
wanting to end his life is that he doesn't want to be a threat to his family and his friends and no one has called him that or treated him that way that's all coming from himself yeah yeah i mean he was treated that way obviously in prison but i just meant like since getting back to deep space nine it was really hard to see when o'brien was explaining to julian what about echar and and what really happened um I was proud of him for admitting that to Julian and like you see him tearing up in the story like telling him like what happened and I just feel it just I'm not a psychologist I am not an expert on incarceration or what it's like to when you withhold food from people but treating someone that inhumane like that we have food is one of our main needs and I don't think that not being able to get that need is going to end in people doing things that they wouldn't normally do. And I just feel like this is just proof of that. Yeah. And maybe this is like partially a product of like how we do the podcast weekly and, you know, watch it a day or two before, a couple times a day or two before, um, and then recording. I feel like this is like an episode you really need to kind of like sit with. And like, I've seen it before, but I really don't, I don't feel like I have a lot to say. Cause I'm still like processing it. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's... no, I, I totally agree. Um, I feel like, and I watched it twice. Um, and I still feel like I'm sitting with it. I watched it yesterday afternoon and I watched it again like right before we started podcasting. I mean, I did my I I like did some research before that, so I kind of did my notes before I rewatched it, which yeah. I normally don't do, but because of the nature of the episode, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't being flippant about anything, so I was a little more intentional <laughs> intentional with like what I was writing. I think you're 100% right on though the ways in which that it's like Miles is carrying all of this, carrying this guilt, carrying the shame, and then it intensifies because of, you know, the circular nature of, like, you know, the turbulence and the outburst, and it just heaps on more shame and more guilt, and it's like you don't want... And as someone who has had suicidal ideation before, um, you don't want it to... You don't want to be that burden anymore and it's like you just want it you just want the feelings to stop yeah and it feels and like it can often feel like that's the only way or or like the easiest not that's easy but um there's a there's this part of um will burnham inside where i think it's near the middle to the back half where he talks about how he doesn't want to kill himself, but if he could just, you know, be dead for like a couple years to get yeah. that air quotes rest and come back. And I'm just like, yeah. I, I related to that heavily when I yeah. that show. So I, I, yes, that sat with me too. Just like a little pause, please. Yeah. And I think the like, on the one hand, maybe it's good that we don't, like you say, they don't take the, the memories away. We don't get this like happily ever after Right. end of the episode um but we 
we never really get to go on that healing journey with right. with Miles after and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I do think like if this was a different show and we got the healing journey, that would be wonderful. Um I'm sure they would have I based on a lot of things in the show, I feel like it would have been great. Um but I do think like given that we are not having that i'm really glad it didn't get wrapped up in a bow yeah yeah you had a really good point in the notes about um medications did you want to talk about that a bit more elise oh i just i just think that needing medication needing antidepressants um is a really is a real thing um i'm on antidepressants <clears throat> And I, I just think that there could be a stigma against them. And I feel like the stigma was probably even larger back when this episode aired. And Mm -hmm. I really, so that makes, that like makes me even happier that they use that as a, as part of the treatment because it, it also feels very much like in how you said earlier, like it's non, not kind of like non Roddenberry, like you know, we live in this utopia and there's no conflict between humans and, and such. And, mm-hmm. you know, we a lot of times, um, obviously, the impetus of this whole thing is that another, an alien species did this to him. So the conflict is still with it, was still like generated with, generated because of another species of people. Um, but in the episode, the conflict is within O'Brien himself. And I think that is something that is very interesting and isn't always the case on, on Star Trek. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what my point is. I just, I just liked it. Well, I think it goes without saying there's um, nothing. There's no Altar Water Thirst Quencher this week. Um, and I think we have the same candidate for most Star Trek thing, and we've, we've guess... already talked about it. <laughs> this is horrible, but I'm like, I guess O'Brien was probably thirsty for actual water while he was in prison, but that's like a horrible thing to say. Um, this is like the less fun side of the, the Star Trek trope where like you have these like romance episodes where someone's willing to throw away their career for someone they met 15 yes. minutes ago in the episode and then we never hear about we're looking again. at you this Jetsia, is like, Dex. <laughs> this is like this is like the less campy version of that yeah. um of the same the same kind of trend or phenomenon it's just like yeah i think that we could probably agree on Mar- most star trek thing but um I mean, say a different one if you have a different one. But for me, it's just that this never gets talked about ever again. Yeah. No, that would be the same for me. Um, I don't think I have anything else to no, say about that's, this episode. No, and that's fine. Um, I feel really strongly, and I, we've talked about this like off air, that it's better to have an episode that's as long as it needs to be than to add stuff just to add stuff. Um so that's why our episodes are of very various, uh, very variedly, very varied. That does not sound right. That's why our episodes are different lengths, um, because sometimes there's a lot to talk about. And I mean, the last two weeks we haven't even had a B plot, so it's like fewer yeah. fewer storylines even to talk about. That's okay. 
Well, take care of yourselves, everyone. Um, after you've watched the episode and now listen to the podcast, do do something that fills your cup. Do something that yes. makes you you happy. And normally, Star Trek's off on that thing, but not every episode is like that. <laughs> Maybe just um, put the next episode on since this doesn't get mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Blue Sky Letterbox and Storygraph at Chicken Tindy. That's T-E-N-D-I. You can find my other podcast, Fang Bangers Pod, on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky at Fang Bangers Pod. That's bangers with a Z, um, as well as anywhere you listen to podcasts. Recently, it probably will come out before this does. I was on the podcast Dream with Mind and Heart. Um I think that you can all spell that out for yourselves. We were talking about... Actually, our editor, Melissa, was also on that episode. We were talking about Cinderella adaptations. So please find that anywhere you listen to podcasts as well. Cinderella, Cinderella, night and day. Cinderella, and make the dress so pretty. There's nothing to it, really. I was singing a little bit of that song on the episode, and I was like, leave the sewing to the women. You go get some trimming. <laughs> Which is my favorite line, because I, uh, I'm a misogynist. No, I just, I get, I laugh about, um, like, women's work and, like, older things. It amuses me. You can also catch me as well, sometimes on Twitter when I'm bored, but more often <laughs> on Letterboxd and Blue Sky at Maddie Hugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Podrace, and you can email us at podrace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.